Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Well, yes and amen. Hey man, I am excited about what God is doing um, in us and through us through His Word. And I'm very, very excited about Easter and everything that's coming up. And listen, we've been getting a lot of feedback um, going through this series in Colossians. And I believe God's doing a lot in our heart and our mind as He's showing us... um, who we are in Christ. And so we normally just teach a word by word and line by line through God's word because we believe that that's where the power's at. Amen. And, and God's doing a lot of things in our midst. And, and today I want to just um, sort of set up where we're going and maybe this will help. Um, whenever Courtney and I were married, we, we got married and then like literally four weeks later, we moved to St. Louis where I became a youth pastor at a church. And we lived there in South County, St. Louis. And we didn't have any kids at the time, so the youth kids were always hanging out at our house. And we were going to White Castle and just hanging out with the kids all the time. And we lived in South County, and in South County, there's the South County Mall. Do you guys remember a mall? You remember what a mall is, right? It's a place that you actually go inside and shop and all that stuff. And we would hang out at the mall quite a bit. And we were part of Dare to Share Ministries. And we would even go in the mall and evangelize and stuff like that. Well, one day I was hanging out with some of the kids there in the mall. And I picked up a a new pair of tennis shoes. Because beautiful are the feet that carry the good news of the gospel. Amen, right? I can always find a Bible verse to buy some shoes or something like that. And so I was hanging out with the kids, bought a new pair of shoes that had released and got home. And I think we were getting dinner ready or something like that. Courtney got off work and I was like, hey, check out these new shoes I picked up. And she was like, oh, those are, those are nice. So you got some new shoes today, huh? And I was like, yeah, um, you don't seem as excited as I am about my new shoes that I got, right? And then it dawned on me, um, you know, it's, when you get married, it's not your money. It's our money, right? And you got to have some conversations about some stuff and buying some things. Don't nudge your spouse right now, okay? Um, it's, it's not mine anymore. It's, it's ours. And she was like, hey, we need to have some conversations about buying some stuff because you're a poor pastor, right? And so we need to discuss these type of things. And, and listen, that's, that's a true statement. Um, I, I'd gotten married, and the covenant that I had made with my wife... In that covenant, what I was saying was, I will now live differently in light of our covenant together. Here's what I'm trying to say. A single event changed the way that I lived my life. In light of my marriage, I now changed the way that I used money and dealt with money or even time or any of those things like that. 
The reason why I say that is because in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to say it every week. Because until we get to first verse, uh, chapter 4, it is the Apostle Paul's thesis statement. He says these words, If or since then you have been raised with Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. In light of a single event, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the moment that you confessed of you being a sinner and submitted your life to God, that event has changed the way that you lived your life. And then he says this week, now there's some things that we have to put off. In light of that event changing you, there's some effects that it has on your life. And our thesis and our big idea today is this. We put to death our old life by putting on our new life in Christ. That the Apostle Paul says that there were some former ways in which we lived. And we no longer live that way anymore. And the language is strong. Do you see it right there in, starting in verse 5? Put to death. It literally translates to mortify. To kill. It's strong language. Paul is saying that we kill these former ways of life. But it's also by putting on our new life. And so listen, today we're going to have to talk about, about some strong things, some heavy things. Um, and I want you to know, I don't want you to say after the sermon today, well, Jason believes. If you say that, that's a fail. That's a fail on my part. Because you should have your Bible open and be able to point to the verse and say, the scriptures say. That's the goal today. Because here's a reality. These verses are not popular. Like I've never been in somebody's home and they're like, look at this new Hobby Lobby sign I got. Kill your sins, right? We avoid this stuff because we don't know what to do with it or because we're entangled in it. But listen, here's the reality. If we say that we love the cross, listen, loving the cross of Jesus Christ means hating our sin that put him there. Loving the cross means hating the sin that put him there. And listen, a lot of times when people run across verses like these, they'll say, oh, there's the Christians, what they're against, all of that type of stuff. See, Christianity is nothing but a bunch of rules or this. And listen, that's the wrong way to look at it. It's what I just said. A single event now changes the way we live our life. I love the way that Dr. John Piper says it. He says that God is not a killjoy. God doesn't want to kill our joy, but God is against anything that kills our joy. That's the good way to look at it. God isn't interested in going, no fun, no fun. God wants us to have the greatest joy, but we're mistaken as to what actually brings us joy. And so today, what we're going to look at is um, how we put some things to death and, and why we do that. But before we do that, um, does this name, Timothy Treadwall, sound familiar to you? Um, this is a picture of Timothy. Timothy um, was a guy who literally hung out with grizzly bears. He was literally obsessed with them. 
Um, they actually made a documentary um, about him that you can view on Netflix. That's the next picture. Um, but he was obsessed with living with bears, even said that he was one at one point. Kind of the butter slid off his biscuit a long time ago. But um, they made this documentary about him, and he spent all this time with them, was studying them, doing all this stuff, said that bears aren't really that bad. You just need to spend time with them. And um, one day... Him and his girlfriend, who were um, out there camping around the bears, got mauled to death by a bear. Now listen, I'm not trying to be insensitive, okay? I'm, I'm really not. But you don't make pets with grizzly bears. I'm always fascinated at these videos that go viral of, um, you know, an owner of a lion got killed by their pet. Well, that's not a pet. That's, that's a lion, okay? And actually, um, the, the state of Alaska had to issue a new rule called the Treadwell Rule, where campers must move their uh, campsite one mile every five days so the bears don't get used to them and they get used to the bears. Listen, what the Apostle Paul does today is he says with strong language, some of you are making a pet out of something that's going to kill you. That this sin and this way of life that you're dabbling in is damaging. And you have got to move away from it. You have got to slay it. And listen, there is power. There is good news. We are able to do this by putting on our new life. So what do we put to death? What is the first thing that we put to death? Well, I'm calling this earthly passions. Earthly passions. Look at what he says in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, some of your translations say, therefore, put to death, or put to death, therefore. And he's going back to the verses that we studied last week. He's saying, because this is not your identity anymore. These are things that we don't play with and dabble with. And the first thing on the list is sexual immorality. Now, we believe that God's word's inspired here at Westside. Amen? Oh, that was a really weak amen, all right? We believe that every word in the Bible is inspired by God. Amen? So I don't believe that the Apostle Paul was like, mm, what list can I come up with and just like, you know, railing and writing off a list? I don't believe it's by accident or happenstance that he puts that first. Um, listen, when it comes to the church and when it comes to the struggles of Christians, when it comes to the issue of sex and sexual immorality, it is not an issue. It is the issue. It is the issue. Um, there's two types of people that deal with sexual immorality, honest people and liars, okay? So let's just go ahead and clear the air when it comes to that today. And the word that the Apostle Paul uses for sexual immorality is very important to understand. Listen, big questions require big work, all right? So you can't just opt out and say, well, I don't like that and I don't believe in that. We have to really study something. And the word that he uses in the Greek is the word pornea which should probably sound a little bit familiar to you. It's where we get our English word pornography from. Um, whenever I was in student ministry and I would teach on these issues, what I love about students is that they're honest. 
right? Adults have mortgages and lie, you know, that type of stuff like that. But students, whenever we would get into this, they would always continually ask questions like students do. Like Pastor Jason, well, what about, you know, or what about this? Or, you know, with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend, what about this? And the answer is yes, that's sexual immorality, okay? It is um, a junk drawer term to deal with any activity within the body or, or the lust in our heart and our minds outside the confines of God's design in marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. So when it comes to the word pornea and meaning pornography, it is anything that is illicit and explicit outside of God's design. And a lot of people say this, well, you know, I'm just glad that Jesus never talked about this. Untrue, untrue. Paul uses the same word that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 7 when Jesus says these words. For from within, out of the heart, we're going to get to that in just a second, of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, pornea, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within what Paul is showing, and I'm going to show us in just a minute, is he's literally linking chains together. And he's showing us from the list of these um, earthly passions, how do we get to this immorality? And listen, that is plaguing our culture, that's plaguing Christians, that's plaguing everything, everywhere. And he says that it happens and it comes from within. So this word is anything that is outside God's intended design. And then Jesus actually gets asked a question later on in the Gospels about divorce and about his sexual ethic. And Jesus quotes Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man should leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Listen, anything outside that design, whether it's premarital sex, homosexuality, or any of those things, is against God's intended order. Now... How does that chain of events happen? I want to show you another word. He says, passion, and then this phrase, evil desire. The word evil desire and passion is actually one big word in the original language, and the way they translate it does us a little bit disservice. Because when you hear evil desire, you're like, dun, dun, dun. This is like bad, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. Actually, the word evil desire is the Greek word epithemia, which means this, over-desire. Think about it this way. Um, my family was spending time with a church member who had some cattle and horses and stuff, and the kids were hanging out. And it was in the evening, and, and we were doing feeding time. And uh, so, so we were feeding, and we were shutting some gates. And he kept asking me, hey, did you shut that gate? Hey, did you shut that gate? Here's what I realize if you deal with livestock. Gates are everything, right? Gate, like you live and die by, is the gate open or is the gate closed, right? And he said, you got to make sure that that gate's closed because this particular horse, um, she keeps getting into her feed. And I was like, okay, what's the big deal? He said, well, a horse will eat till it dies, literally. That it will sit there and eat all of its food to death. What Paul is saying and what God is saying to us through the scriptures is this. Is that you arrive at the acts of sexual immorality because of an over-desire. It's an over-desire which comes from, then he says this, covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, really? 
Like, I mean, we're on heavy stuff. He's talking about sexual immorality and all this. And some of your translations say greed. Greed? What? That doesn't make sense that these things would go together. Um, I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people being a pastor, and it's one of the great privileges of my life that people confide in me, and, and I get to share great moments and some heavy moments. But do you know what conversation I've never had with someone? I've never sat across from a cup of coffee at a table with someone and they looked me in the eye and they said, Pastor Jason, I need to confess to you that I'm so greedy. Like, I've just never, because we, we don't think that that's our sin. We don't think that that's a problem. We think that we're exempt from that. But what Paul is saying is, is that this is a domino effect. That it start well, then he ends it with this. Covetousness, which is idolatry. That's it. You see, the sexual immorality in the behavior is the fruit. Idolatry is the root in the heart. And what idolatry is, is finding your identity in anything other than Jesus Christ. That's idolatry. And that is the chain of events that happens. And so what, what are we putting to death? You say, Pastor Jason, I need help with this. This is heavy. Paul is saying, put this to death. What does this look like? Well, um, how about this? There's a story of a middle-aged lady that I knew who was in a rough patch in her marriage. And it started with some discontentment. And she said that it was actually watching a bunch of Lifetime movies and reading some of these books like the Fifty Shades of Grey and some things that people would recommend. And there was more of a contentment that was setting in her heart and in her marriage and some bitterness that was setting in. Then one day while she was on social media and on Facebook, she thought that she would type in and look up her old high school boyfriend. By the way, did you know the number one word that's being used now in divorce court is Facebook? And so she pursued and sent a message. And the conversation began to happen and the desire and then pictures were exchanged. And then in her testimony, she confessed that then she found herself viewing explicit pornography. And then one day she bought airline tickets and ran away and left her family. Listen, all because it starts with idolatry. That's the way, and this is what Paul's saying. You don't play with that. You don't play with that. So what does it look like for us in our lives? What does it look like for you? Listen, God says that his power is made perfect in weakness. In weakness. We need more people admitting their weakness. We need more people saying, you know what? At home, I just don't really need the internet at my house. Because late at night, I end up finding this. Or you know what? I find watching these movies or listening to this or viewing this. Listen, we all think that we're the exception and that we're not battling with this. And what Paul is saying is, this is crouching at your door and you must slay this. You must slay it. And listen, can I just propose to us? Our culture has tried this idea of sex in so many different ways. That what if, can I just propose to you, what if it looked like rather than rejecting and resisting everything that God says, what if we just tried God's way? Like I would just offer that and submit that rather than all the energy of pursuing all of that other stuff and, and saying, well, how close is the line and what is this? 
Because listen, it all goes back to how you view this. Paul says that you lead to this pornea and all of this sexual immorality because of idolatry. And there's three primary ways that you can view sex. The first one is this, God. That's idolatry. That is the way our culture views it. That it's what defines relationships, that anything goes, that it doesn't matter who, when, where, all of that type of stuff. It's about your feelings. That's a personal thing. Nobody should be able to judge that. There's no opinion on that, this, that, and the other. And listen, the reality is, is that argument is filled with holes and errors. And the reason why the scripture speaks to it so seriously is, listen, all sin, all sin is equally damning. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All sin is equally damning, but not all sin is equally damaging. And when it comes to sexual sin in our hearts and our minds and our bodies, there is a wake of devastation that is around. So you can view it like that, that all your relationships are determined by that, and that's your identity, or there's a ditch on the other side of the road. You can view sex as God or as gross. And this is where the church of Jesus Christ has failed. Listen, look up here, don't miss this. This is going to blow your mind, okay? Sex was God's idea. Some of you are like, that just feels wrong. And he just said that right now, right? I mean, like at creation, God wasn't like creating everything. And Adam and Eve, and then God went to get a cup of coffee and came back and was like, what are they doing? I had no, what in the world? That's horrible, right? No, he made them male and female, blessed them, blessed them, and said, be fruitful and multiply in the covenant and in the confines of marriage. And what the church has done is said, bad, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. And what we've done with kids in the youth group is we've said all the, like we've never educated them on their bodies or any of that stuff. We just said bad, 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 stay pure, bad, 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 all that stuff's bad. You know, stuff down all those feelings, bad, bad, bad. And then they get married and have all this emotional baggage and we're like, good luck, figure it out. And listen, there is all types of younger Christian couples who have all types of emotional baggage in their marriage. And even when they're consummating their marriage and enjoying God's design, there's guilt and shame that they feel because this is how it was viewed. Or you can view it like a gift, which is what God has given to us. It is not God. It is not gross. But it is a gift, and Paul is dealing with this head on and says that we cannot go outside of God's intended design for that. Um, I'll never forget a number of years ago, I had an older car. You're like, he has a spatula, and we're talking about this? What in the world is going on? Okay, right? Um, I had an older car, and the defrost didn't work, and it was winter. And I was running late, leaving the house, and so I was trying to figure out, how am I getting all this ice off my windshield? I'm running late. So I grabbed the thing that was closest to me, and it was a spatula, and I was like, this kind of looks like an ice scraper, and went to try to go get the ice off and slipped and just busted my knuckles on the ice. I mean, it was painful, ruined the whole day. You know, I'm out there, bloody knuckles with a spatula. People are driving by like, I think he's a pastor. That's like, you know, what is going on over there, okay? Um, But I hurt myself because I used something in a way in which it wasn't designed. Listen, if we use sex 
any other way than in which the way God has designed it, it will hurt us and the relationships around us. And I say this out of place of love. I say this out of place of concern. And and what Paul says is, listen, why do we do this? Well, look at verse 6. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Like, what do I do with this verse right now? I could preach this a number of ways. I could use it like a baseball bat and just dangle your feet over the fire. And, you know, that's what a lot of us grew up with in youth group or something like that. And you know what? It might change your behavior for a little bit. I would say maybe till about Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday. And then when the guilt and shame wore off. See, a lot of us in this room are living in this cycle of sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. And what Paul is saying is that cycle has to break. That there's power to be able to break that. That you have to put that to death. So what do we say about this wrath that's not yet coming, but is coming? Well, listen to what one commentator said. Paul mentions the coming judgment in verse 6, not as a threat to Christian believers, as if that would motivate the Colossians to reform their ways. It is simply saying that these sins point to what is wrong in the world and why God must do something about it. In fact, it's good news that God will do something about it. If this grisly list seems to only confirm people's worst fears about what Christians are obsessed with, then simply ask this question. What is it like to be a victim of each sin on the list? You see, we go lightly on ourselves when we're the perpetrator, but we never do when we're the victim. And surely that reveals everything that we need to know about our own selves. So listen, it's not this idea of, you know, turn or burn or this, that, and the other. What Paul is saying is that's not your identity, and you have to put those things to death because your father is a heavenly father who loves you dearly, and when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. So listen, getting into your communities and getting into your men's group and getting into your women's group and asking for accountability in these areas as to what it looks like to put these things to death, these earthly passions. But then the second thing is this, it's earthly practices. Because now he shifts. He goes from what we would consider um, culturally heavy and taboo and oh yeah, for sure. And then says this, verse 8, but now... You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Interesting. The Apostle Paul shifts and says, literally, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your sexual ethic and your life has changed, but your words have changed. Like literally your speech has changed. Um, Go back to those verses in Mark chapter 7, what Jesus says about from within and without. He says this, For from within, out of the heart of man come these things, slander. All of these evil things come from within. Listen, here's what I'm not interested in. I'm not interested in behavior modification. 
All right? So it's not just, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm not going to watch this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to. Listen, that's helpful. And there are some guardrails that you need. We don't have grizzly bears as pets. We can't do that, okay? But here's what Paul's saying that's just the fruit. The root is the heart. And Paul says, do you know how to gauge what's inside your heart? Well, whatever fills your heart spills out of your mouth. That's what Paul's saying. And we try to cover it up with things like, just kidding, JK. But the reality is, is that our words are a window into our souls. So whatever fills your heart spills out of your mouth. But here's the most important thing to understand. The heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. That's the key to all of this. That yes, there are these things that we put to death and we must do this. And please listen to me. There are some of us that are in this room that are, that are making pets out of things that are going to leave a wake of devastation in your life. And what I'm saying is I'm saying as somebody who loves somebody else who's heading on to oncoming traffic, don't go that way. Don't go that way. And you must deal with the heart, not just the behavior. So now, that's what we put to death. We slay it. We mortify it. As John Owen said, you be killing sin or your sin will be killing you. But now, some good news. Are you ready for some good news? Say good news, please, right? How do we do this? Well, look at the language that he uses. I love verse 7. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. And here it is, verse 8. My two favorite words in the entire passage. But now. But now. That's not who you are. That was your former way of life. Now, in light of Christ and what He has done, if you say that you love Christ, you must hate the sin that put Him there. And so now you live in a new life. And He says, how are we doing this? Look at verse 9. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self. There it is again. With its practices... Verse 10, and have put on the new self, here's the whole key, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's how you change. Everybody wants to change. And please listen to me. Change always happens at a moment of conflict or crisis. That's how change always happens. So like, I mean, one day, you looked in the mirror or tried to put those jeans on, and you were like, got a little bit of a crisis here, okay? I might need to start working out or doing something like that. And so, please listen, that, that same train of thought, where that moment of crisis is happening in order to compel change, when we read these verses, or when God knocks the props out from us in our life and reveals some things, whether it be the sexual sins or those type of things that are going on, what we're tempted to do is to run and not be found out. But the reality is, is because that has been exposed, that's a sign of God's grace for you in your life. That He's pursuing you and that He's chasing you. So it's not resisting those. It's repenting. And here's what repentance is. It's turning from sin to Christ. Listen, in order to stop or to change, love has to be the motivation. 
So it's not just removing stuff in your life. It's not just removing what you watch or this, that, or the other, or removing words that you say. It's replacing it. It's replacing it with the greater love. And the way, I love this, the way that Paul writes this sentence, the construct of it means that there's an outside force that is renewing you into the image of your creator. And that outside force is God. Listen, God is working in your life. He's moving in your life. And oftentimes we don't see it or we resist it because we're so afraid. Or because in order to put sin to death, we just keep focusing on the sin and the behavior and the sin and the behavior. We become obsessed and then it spills out into our parenting and into relationships. And it's all about only focusing and only doing that. But listen, that's not the way. And here is the sentence. We fight the power of sin not by focusing on sin, but by focusing on what Christ has done to pay for sin, which is the cross. That is what changes us. As one author says, for every look that you look at your sin, take ten looks to look at the cross of Jesus Christ. That it was love that held him there. That while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And listen, what will change you? What will change you is knowing the love of Jesus Christ. In closing, I want to share this story that I think encompasses what we're talking about. Pastor Greg Barnes grew up in a Christian home and his parents were fostering some children. And one of the children came out of a pretty bad situation and the parents were heroin addicts. And then through the fostering situation, they just adopted the 12-year-old boy, loved him to death. And Chris Barnes tells a story about what it was like in that adoption and how the change took place. And he says these words, At first, it was quite difficult for Roger to adjust to his new home, an environment free from heroin addicts and adults and conflict and danger. Every day, several times a day, I heard my parents saying to Roger, no, no, Roger, that's not the way that we behave in this family. No, no, you don't have to scream, Roger, or fight or hurt people or lie to get what you want in this family. And in time... Roger actually began to change. Now, did Roger have to make all those changes in order to become a part of the family and to be adopted? No. He was made part of the family simply by the grace of my father loving and accepting Roger. And my father saying, Roger, you're my son. But did he then have to do a lot of work when he was in the family? You bet he did. It was tough for him to change, and he had to work at it. But he was motivated by gratitude and grace, by the incredible love that our Father had shown him and that he received. So, do you have a lot of hard work to do now that the Spirit has adopted you into the family of God? Certainly but not in order to become a son or daughter of the Heavenly Father. No, no. You make those changes because you are, because He says you are. And every time you start to revert back to those old addictions and those old ways of life, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, no, no, that's not the way that we act in this family. And you're a part of the family. Listen. We put to death our old life. 
by putting on the new life that Jesus has already purchased for us. So what's the application of this? Well, the first thing is this. I think you need to recognize and confess what your struggles are on that list. You need to name it. Listen to me. If you want specific change and you want God to change things specifically and work specifically, you pray specifically and be honest. And for those of you who think that none of that applies to me, Jesus raises the bar and says, you've heard it said that if you commit adultery, but I say unto you that if you look with a woman with lustful intent, for you've already committed adultery. Listen, the reality is, is that it's a hard problem. And for some of us, we're playing with something that is massively dangerous. And so we have to be honest with that and then repent, turn from that. But you don't just turn from something, you turn to Jesus. And oh, please listen to me, return to the Father. Some of us in this room have strayed so far from our Father's home, but just like the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal, that the father would go on the front porch and look every day to see if his son would return. And the day that he saw his son over the hill, he gathered up his clothes and he ran to his son. And his son had a big speech prepared. Like he was ready to make an atonement for all of it. And the father's love was so gracious that he didn't even let the son finish the speech, but grabbed him and put his arms around him and said, Welcome home. Listen, that's what God is doing. God is waiting for you to return. Lay it down, put it to death, and put it away. There is only death down that road. But there is life, an abundant life at the Father's house. Westside, stand to your feet and let us close in a word of prayer. And with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room today, there are some of us that if we're honest with ourselves, we need to put to death some things that we're trying to keep alive. And I pray today that you would see the love of Jesus Christ hanging on that cross. And that love would compel us and move us towards the Father. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Heavenly Father, convict those that need convicting. Comfort those that need comforting. God, for some of us in this room, we're waging the battle. We are putting it to death. And for some of us in the room, God, we're weary and we're tired. God, I pray that you would enkindle that strength afresh today. And more than anything, I pray that we would know that we're loved unconditionally. And it's that love that changes us. May we put to death the old life by putting on the new life that we have in you, Jesus. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.